Welcome back to the Brojo Online Podcast. We're wrapping up 2021 with this one. And today we're going to talk about how to make really good decisions. Because if you think about it, there's nothing more important in life than to be good at decision making. Is there, really? If, if, you, if you're good at making decisions, you have a good life. It's as simple as that. So, of all the things we could talk about, this has got to be the most relevant to anything you're doing. So that's how we're going to wrap up this year. We're going to talk about how to make decisions, and we're going to talk about it, how to make them like a chess grandmaster. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. When deciding what topic to do for the final podcast of the year, a big deal. You know, I was going to talk about fatherhood, but I had to be honest, as always, and while being a father for the first time this year was certainly the most uh, kind of impactful thing that happened to me, it's not actually the thing that developed me the most. I'm actually pretty well set up for fatherhood. Like, I'm ready for this. It wasn't, like, totally new shit for me. I mean, taking care of a kid is new and, and constant uh, nature of it is new, but my emotional development in preparation for being a father was kind of already on track and I'm pretty happy with that. I'm pretty proud of it. It's like I waited until I was actually mature and ready to have a kid. And so I didn't actually develop that much from having a kid other than kind of having my heart uh, open up a bit more and, and feel more emotion and more love than I've ever felt before. So weirdly, what really grew me the most this year, what developed me the most, was a newfound hobby, chess. Chess is played by upwards of 500 million people around the world. It is the most popular game ever. And despite the cliche of it being played strictly by uber-genius nerds who never go outside, it's actually played by a huge range of people. And you don't have to be a genius to get into it. I'm certainly not. At least I'm not genius enough to be that good at it, you know. But you can get into it and... Like Sudoku, games like chess, very cognitive, hard-thinking games, are shown to have a tremendously beneficial effect on your later mental health. It wards off things like dementia and Alzheimer's and kind of keeps you functioning and gives you uh, purpose and reason and meaning in life in your older age. So chess is just a fantastic hobby to have on the side if you want to make sure that your brain keeps functioning after the age of like 65, which is one of the many reasons I chose to get into it. It being addictive is the main reason I'm still doing it. But also, during COVID, winter, lockdown to fuck, have a kid, no spare time, can't socialize, can't do anything. Chess, which can be played online, was really my escape, my getaway. It was my one thing that was just for me this year. I was very much serving others more than myself this year can't say it's self-sacrifice because i was just doing what i thought was the right thing to do not trying to get anything in return but you know fatherhood especially with a baby that doesn't sleep very well and a uh, wife was suffering quite a lot from the birth and the hormones and the postnatal depression and stuff so i didn't have much for me i didn't have much time for me this year but i could squeeze in a five minute blitz game of chess online every now and then and so chess became kind of a significant part of my life this year. Anyway, the reason I'm going into it is because 
Chess has taught me so much about decision making. Chess is so applicable to life and its principles and its way of thinking and the strategies that you apply. They are so transferable to other areas of life. You can use chess principles in your relationships, in your business, in your health, everything. Today we're going to talk about a decision making framework based on the game of chess that you can apply to normal life. I actually do suggest you get into playing chess at least a little bit for like beginner level so that you can understand the principles I'm talking about today even better, though you don't need to be a chess person to understand what I'm talking about today. But chess is essentially a game of decision making, that's all it is. Every move is a decision, and it's a very careful decision. And because of that, every move is given a rating, and the rating essentially ranks your decision making from terrible to excellent and everything in between and every move can be rated either by someone who knows what they're talking about or by a computer after you've finished your game it can tell you what kind of move you made was it the best move or does it was it a terrible blunder and everything in between and you can apply this to your life so we're going to look at today how to make your decision making in everyday life as if you're playing a game of chess a framework that will help you improve your decision making, help you understand if you've got things going wrong in your life, why that is, what previous decisions, what previous blunders you made to lead to the situation. And if things are going well, also understanding that. You know how frustrating it is when things are going well, when you're in the flow and you're killing it and you have no idea why, and then you lose it and you don't know how to replicate it. So today we're going to look at how to avoid making mistakes and blunders, or at least learning from them so you're less likely to make them again in the future, but also look at how to repeat great moves that you make, how to learn what works and how to replicate that and spread it and transfer it among different areas. All right, it's all going to come down to this kind of meta decision making, looking at how you make decisions. So... I'm going to go through the different categories and the terms that they use in chess and then apply it to real life. And my challenge for you over the next week, say, you don't have to do this with every single thing you do, but try and categorize the decision you make before you act on it. And then, as I'll talk about later, after you act on it, then recategorize it. So analyze it again for how it went to see what the actual category is. So getting into the habit of before you do something going what kind of move am I about to make is it you know from blunder terrible mistake through to excellent fucking fantastic move or somewhere in between that doesn't do much and then after you make the move and there's a consequence and a reaction to it an outcome you can look at it again and say was I right about that is that how it was supposed to go did it go better than I thought worse than I thought do I need to change its rating and if you start thinking like this you're going to train yourself to make better and better decisions over time or at least understand why you're in the situation you're in whether it's good or bad you'll be able to look back over your decisions and say yeah i'm exactly where i'm supposed to be i can see how i got here which is so much better than going why does life fucking hate me and not realizing life doesn't feel about you at all you got yourself here you dug this grave right or if you're killing it of course you built this castle so what we're really looking to do here which is uh, the terminology in chess, is to make the best move. Now, if if I'm playing a chess engine, which is, you know, an online computer 
that knows how to play chess and is probably better than nearly every human on the planet. And I dial it all up to the top rating, 3200. I, I dial it up to as if I'm playing a perfect machine. Every move it makes is the best move. So no matter what situation you get into in the game, every time it makes a move, there is nothing better that could have been done. And that's why you can't beat the fucking machine, because all you have to do is make a slightly less than best move, and you're, you're done for. The percentage outweighs you. You can't recover, generally speaking. However, when I say make the best move, uh, I've been applying this with my coaching clients a lot lately. Some of them misinterpret this to mean doing the right thing, and they start overthinking it and putting too much pressure on them, and it leads them to performance, like uh, perfectionism type performance issues. And that's not what the best move is. The best move isn't sitting there not moving, thinking about what is the perfect thing to do. Okay, in fact, there are moves that are called perfect. This isn't perfect. The best move is given the current information you've got and the time limit that you've put on yourself that's reasonable. We'll talk about that soon. Of all the things you can think of, your values, your principles, the rules of the situation you're in, other people's, you know, how they're going to be affected most likely, all that put together, there's a move that's probably better than anything else you can currently think of. Not anything else you could potentially think of later in the future, but right now, of all the options you can think of, one of them seems to be better than all the others. And that is what we mean by the best move. So when it comes to making careful, considered decisions, what you're really doing is taking a moment, but not too long, to look at the available options, which on a chessboard means you look at all the pieces that are kind of active and see who's attacking who and where the risks are and what your guys could or couldn't do. And you don't want to take too long to do this, but we'll talk about timing later. And you go, of all those options, it's probably best that I retreat this guy, or I defend that guy, or I attack that guy. And you can see out of all of them, there's one move that seems to improve your position more than any of the others seem to. Now, you might be wrong about that, because you're not a computer. But it's just a framework before you act to go, I think this is going to be the best move. And you actually put a little bit of thought into it. You don't just impulsively act, but neither do you overthink and start reconsidering a decision you've already made. You just go, look, there's five options. Two of them obviously terrible. Two of them are a bit, I'm not so sure. And one of them seems good. So that's probably the best move available to me right now with my current brain and my current awareness. So it's about the best move in reality, but not in imagination. You know, a lot of us imagine that we might think of a better move later because we've done that before. We're after a situation with hindsight, we think of better things we could have done. And then we hold ourselves to account to do that now, even though the future hasn't happened yet, right? Making the best move is about reality, not imagination. It's the best you can do right now with who you are right now. It's not who your future self might be and what he might be able to think of doing it's a combination of rational and emotional so a decision that's all rational without feeling can often be a good move kind of in terms of getting outcomes or strategic kind of maneuvering but it might not be the best move in terms of your integrity you might breach your integrity being totally rational now, if you're totally emotional, of course, you can do this knee-jerk reaction, swept away by feeling-type moves, and they're often pretty disastrous too. Not always, but often. 
the best move is usually a combination. I feel like doing this, which limits my range of options, but there are better versions of doing it than others. Let's say I'm feeling angry, I can punch a hole in the wall, or I can confront someone assertively. One of those options is better than the other, so I'm going with the anger, but I'm also applying rational kind of moderation to it. Now, if I go against the anger, but I'm going to pretend I don't even feel any anger, and I'm just going to let that person get away with that behavior, that's not the best move. But if I go totally feeling like, oh, fuck you, and smack the guy, that's not the best move either. So it's a combination of rational and emotional. And I've actually got a podcast, which I think is called Rational Emotionality. I think that's, that's the wording in the title. Uh, which I talk about how to work both emotionally and rationally when it comes to making decisions. You've carefully thought through the best available information, but not taking too long, you haven't overthought it, and you're working within the situation, not the fantasy, not, I wish it was like this, if only this was happening, I, I've got to wait for this other thing to happen. No, no, you, you're dealing with what's currently on your workbench. Like if you're playing chess, it's, with the way the pieces are currently set up, not with, oh, I wish I still had my queen. No, you don't have your queen, so that's done. Don't make plans that need a queen, right? And you get people do this, oh, if only I had more money, I'd do this. You don't have more money. So that's not a consideration in the game. You can't consider that factor. You can't go, okay, well, if I had more money, I'd do this. No, you don't have more money. The best move cannot involve having more money because you don't, right? So when you're making the best move, it's got to be with exactly the situation as it currently stands. No imagination, no fantasy. Okay. And what you're looking for is a combination of best for your short term and long term. Now, if you can't do better than that, we'll talk about best for the long term in a second. Because if, you, if you're unsure what to do, it's better to provide for your long-term self than your short-term self. Short-term self tends to be a sacrifice of long-term. But there are some moves that are best for both. Right, like if I'm really honest with my partner right now, not only will we sort out this confrontation to the best of our ability, but I create an honest relationship. So short and long term, I'm killing it. Right? That would be a best move. If I lie to her now, she might feel good right now, I get a short term reward, but long term she can't trust me. Right? When the lie gets discovered. Or if I'm too brutal with my honesty, if I don't like consider her at all. I go rational honesty, I'm like, well, she's crying, but I'm going to keep punishing her with facts, right? I might uh, hurt myself both short term and long term. You're looking for something that's like, what would be good for me now and later? And if you can't find that, you go, well, what's good for me at least later, if it's not going to be good for me now? You're looking for a combination of values and outcomes. So you want to live with integrity, but you also want to get the best possible result that integrity can get. Like I've said before, you can be honest in so many different ways. You can be honest in a way that deeply offends someone and they never talk to you again. Or you can be honest in a way where you said your piece, you said the same thing, but it's been in language that they're much easier able to take and receive. So I can shout at someone, go, you're a fucking cunt. I'm, I'm being honest in a way. I'm sort of expressing the feeling I'm having in some sort of honest way. Or I can say, I'm really upset with your behavior right now. Now, I'm, I'm saying the same exact thing both times, but one of them is going to also get a better result. So I'm looking for integrity plus good results, if possible. Sometimes it's just integrity, and you can't have good results. Sometimes it's just good results, and you can't have integrity, right? But generally, the way I play chess is if I lose the game, I want to make sure I lost without cheating, so, so to speak. So 
I, I, I would encourage you also when you're making your decisions, integrity is the non-negotiable, but how it's done is negotiable. There's a massive range of options of how to live with integrity. It's not a rule book. I must always speak like this. I must always act like this. That's not integrity. It's rules. Integrity is I must be courageous when I'm scared, but how I do that, lots of different ways to do it. And ultimately, the best move leaves you in a strong position. Right? It leaves you in the best possible place given the situation you're in. So, some examples. Breaking up with a bad partner. That's a good move, isn't it? That's the best move. Starting a business and doing something that you're experienced in and you love with uh, good support. That's a best move, isn't it? Uh, hiring a coach. Obviously, I'm going to think that. But, you know, any sort of bringing on of support that ups your game. That's a best move. Uh, switching to, I don't know, plant-based diet. I'm not saying that for moral reasons. I'm just saying, you know, scientifically speaking, that's the best move you can make for your body. And on and on. And then, of course, there's the little versions of best moves. Right? So you're like, what do I have for breakfast today? And there's like three options. One of them's healthy and two of them are packed full of sugar. You take the healthy one. That's a best move. You know, your boss comes to confront you at work and he's being unfair you could punch him in the face, you could stay silent, just take it, or you could assertively just say, look, you know, you're kind of invading my space, let's talk about this later. That's the best move. Of the three you could think of, that was better than the other two. And that's what we mean by the best move. Of the options you can think of, you choose the healthiest one, best likelihood for short and long-term outcomes, lines up with your integrity, but also gives you a shot at kind of winning that's a best move. And that's what we're looking for when we can find it. Okay, now sometimes you're not going to be able to find it. And that's why we've got to talk about the other categories as well. I think it's Jordan Peterson says, you know, be honest or at least don't lie. We're going to look for like, if you can't find the best move, at least don't make shitty moves. Okay, so let's switch category. That was the best move. Now we're going to talk about other types of moves. There's actually a higher ranked move than best. In chess, and that is brilliant. Sometimes called a great move, but also often brilliant. And that's a move that even the computer didn't think of quite often. It's often a random little move off to the side that doesn't look particularly consequential. But once the game plays out, the computer looks back at that move and goes, Man, that was the game changer. Or sometimes it's a move where, like, a great move was available to you, but an even better one was off to the side that, like, nobody saw. And you get twice as much of the advantage. The, the best move would have given you a big advantage anyway. But you find one where, for example, instead of just taking one piece, first you check the king, then you take a piece, and then you checkmate. That's like a brilliant move where the computer is even like, well, damn, this motherfucker's smart, right? Now, a lot of perfectionists are chasing the brilliant move. And that's why they don't make a move at all. That's why they don't even play the game or they play it very poorly. The thing about brilliant moves is they either require great expertise or great luck or both. Trying to make brilliant moves is almost pointless because you're either going to do it naturally because you're very talented in the area that you're making the move or it's going to be a fluke and neither of those require any trying. Trying to make a brilliant move actually usually prevents you from making the best move. All right, a brilliant move is, if it happens, yay. But it's best moves that make a good life. Brilliant moves 
either happen in a very specific niche field and you've had to build up to them, usually by making a lot of best moves over many, many years, or you just hit the nail on the head without realizing even how that's done, something you can't even plan for. But I, I've got to emphasize it's people trying to make brilliant moves that either do nothing or they do serious blunders because they're trying to be too fancy for their pants, right? So it's like I see this in dancing, literally movement. Somebody, instead of doing like what they know and they've trained for and it's the best thing, they try to do some fancy shit that they saw in a YouTube video and they end up fucking breaking someone's neck almost, right? Because they're not brilliant dancers. But every now and then, a, a perfectly adequate dancer just happens to get some musical timing right and does this amazing thing. And they're like, holy fuck, how did that happen? That's a brilliant move by accident. That's nice, but they weren't trying to do it. In fact, it's more likely you'll do a brilliant move when you're actually just trying to do best moves. See, a brilliant move is like 100 out of 100. A best move is like 80 out of 100. And 80 out of 100 is what's going to create a great life. Trying to hit 100 out of 100 usually means hitting 50 or lower. So there's no point in overthinking or overdoing it to create these, like trying to create a viral video, right? trying to work the algorithm to get a big hit on TikTok, for example. You know, If you're going to go viral, it's just going to be a weird piece of luck, or it's because you're already super famous. Those are the two reasons you go viral, and there really isn't another reason to that. Right, I've studied this a lot, you know, trying to build my YouTube channel, my podcast, and everything. I've never gone viral. You know, it's always driven me crazy. And I've read all the books and done the programs on how it's done. But what I've seen is you either have to seriously compromise your integrity, and even then, it's not guaranteed. Or you just have to build up solidly until you have such a massive audience that the initial viewership of your video causes that viral kind of. Uh, algorithm explosion and that's the same in anything it's not just online but a music album going platinum whatever there's not a formula you can do with somebody who sucks to make that happen the content has to be great and then there has to be a lot of good luck or a massive audience already in support of that person which in case they're already brilliant they're not going viral they're just having the amount of views they should have you know, if Will Smith puts out a video, it's going to go viral because he's Will Smith. It's not going to be some magic fluke, right? But if I did, it would be a fluke, okay? My most viewed videos were a fluke. I just answered some random dude's question. I'm sitting in my pajamas. It's badly filmed. It's not even edited. And it just took off because I just happened to hit a certain topic that was hot in that minute. I can't plan for that. And if I try to do it, and I have in the past, you know, experimented with trying to go viral, I usually create stuff that just tanks. Nobody watches it. Nobody cares about it. I'm not listening to my audience doing what they need. I'm just trying to go viral. It's never worked. Now, I'm not saying my experience is representative for everyone. But what I have seen is that the brilliant things that happen to you in life aren't worth trying to do. They'll either happen by good luck or they'll happen by good design from you doing the best move. So you don't ever have to try for brilliance. You know, a random hot stranger hits on you. You think, fuck, what cologne was I wearing? You know, should I shave? Or was that what made that happen? You got lucky. That's what happened. Now, when you're famous and that happens, it's not luck. But just take the win and keep doing the best moves. Keep being bold and honest in your conversations and stuff like that will happen more often. But you'll never control it. So it brings us on to the next topic, which is excellent or good moves. 
These are less than best, but best is not always obvious or available, is it? Sometimes you look at the range of moves available and you're like, none of these are particularly awesome, but some of them are still better than others. And an excellent or a good move, it improves your situation at least for the foreseeable short-term future, and hopefully for the long-term, and if nothing else, we're looking at a long-term improvement of your situation. So these are not game-changing moves, they're not the saying the perfect thing or making the big career change that explodes your kind of meaningfulness in life. It's just the little things that are a good idea to do, and they're better than the other options to do. They're usually, I think the best way to describe good or excellent moves in life, they're the healthiest option available, they're the long-term habits and kind of repeatable behaviors that you do every day that gain traction over time like exercise is a good move if you're not sure what to do at least some exercise is better than not doing any or overdoing it you know keeping your body functioning it's got to be a good move at any given day getting sunlight got to be a good move on any given day right uh, socializing at least once a week that's got to be a good move better than not right so good moves are probably actually the the backbone of a good life Now, best moves create a better-than-average life, especially compounded over time, but good moves create a situation where it's easy to make best moves. Good moves will keep you healthy, and being healthy means you can think very clearly and make great decisions. Now, if you're unhealthy because you're not making good moves, it's very hard to make the best move. It's hard to even think of what the best move is, right? I'm quite sleep-deprived at the moment. It's out of my control because, you know, my daughter's just not awesome at sleeping. It'll be a maybe a few years before she gets her head around it. Uh, And it's fucking hard to make decisions, right? Now, this is out of my control, so I'm still doing the best moves available to me most of the time, but my capability to think of best moves, my decision-making, severely impacted by sleep deprivation. So getting good sleep is a good move, if you can do it. So they're not game changers, but they prevent negatives, Okay. Therefore, when the best move isn't obvious, and they will at least probably improve your situation or stop it from getting worse. Um, So remaining calm during an argument, that's a good move. Listening to a smart person when they talk, that's probably a good move. Eating healthy and exercising regularly, that's a good move. Having a morning routine, doing meditation, cold showers, getting outside, seeing some sunshine you know, spending quality time with your partner. These are all good moves, all right? None of them are going to turn your life around, but they actually stop the negative shit from happening, and they put you in the best possible position to also see the best move available. So these are the kind of, these are the bread and butter moves that you make in life. Like I said before, I think I was actually using the example for best moves, but if I'm looking at what to eat for breakfast, just choosing something that's healthy. If I'm not even sure what the healthiest thing is, at least choosing the thing that I'm pretty sure is healthier than other options available, right? If I've been inside all day, just kind of go, okay, I'll get outside and get a bit of sunlight. I'm not really sure what that's going to accomplish, but it's got to be better than not doing it. And I'd say, especially if you're either beginning self-development or you're in a really tough position, like I have a client right now uh, who's going through massive grief from losing their partner and is also struggling with figuring out what he wants to do with his career, you know, a guy like him, I recommend you're trying to get as many good moves on the board as possible. 
don't put too much pressure on yourself to make best moves, certainly not brilliant moves, but you're in a really uh, precarious position in terms of making blunders and, and really hurting yourself further. You know, the more we're suffering, the more likely we are to dig the hole deeper uh, by reacting to that suffering with decisions that hurt us even more in the long term. But good moves are kind of always available to you, like, no matter how fucked up you're feeling, you can usually get a bit of sunlight, you can usually spend some time with your son, uh, you can usually eat a healthier meal than what was available, you can kind of push yourself to maybe go for a quick jog, uh, you can talk to someone who loves you and cares for you, you can see a therapist, these are all good moves that you can do no matter how fucked your situation is, no matter how hard it is to make decisions. I mean, you can literally write a list of good moves and repeat them. So good moves are more likely to be habits and healthy behaviors that uh, happen every day, whereas best moves are much more situation-specific. What's the right thing to say right now? Uh, what's the you know best deal to make with this particular client? Those are best moves. You don't really have a rule book for those, whereas you're much more likely to have a rule book for good moves. I really should just eat stuff that isn't packed full of sugar and butter. You know, that's a good move rule book kind of uh, principle. Of all the things I talk about today, if you get good moves right, you're in the best possible position. I think they should be front and center, and you should only really start thinking about best moves when you're making a lot of good moves and you've kind of got your baseline functioning in life doing quite well. Or you've built up an expertise in making best moves, in which case they're the preferable option even over good moves. Right, or excellent moves. So those are all the positive moves forward that you can make. You know, you focus on the best. If you can't think of the best, you at least go for good or better than the others. And every now and then you strike a brilliant one that massively increases uh, your quality of life. But you can't really try for those. Any of those is good. What isn't is what comes next. And in chess terms, we're going to talk about inaccuracies, mistakes, and blunders. And these are moves that either keep you still or hold you back or hurt you massively. Now an inaccuracy, as I understand in chess, is a move that doesn't move you forward or move you back. There were better moves available, you didn't see them. It's kind of like a pointless thing, like you're still playing the game but that didn't do shit. It didn't hurt you but it didn't help you. Now that's actually a negative in my book. I've talked about this in previous content where I talk about entropy about how life is constantly trying to kill you and tear you apart. So if you stay still, you're actually going backwards because you're not fighting against the enemy and the enemy keeps on fighting. And that's what an inaccuracy is. It's a move that doesn't really do anything, which means you're not fighting back. At the very least, you're not fighting back against entropy. See, good moves, like I talked about before, you're fighting entropy. So if I'm eating healthy, I'm fighting off the constant withering of my body from the elements. Um, prolonging how long I'm going to live. If I eat something that's empty calories, if I eat a packet of chips, it's not like I'm eating poison, but I'm not fighting off old age with a packet of chips. So therefore, I'm actually coming out negative. I'm losing a little bit. If you think about it in chess, if I make an inaccuracy against a better player, I'm actually now losing because they'll do a good move or a best move, and I just did an inaccuracy. So they're going to be up on points. The enemy is there. We are constantly working against things in life. That's just the deal. We can't help it. So if you're not making a good move forward, if the move does nothing for you, you're actually losing. That's why I categorize an inaccuracy as a negative move. But on the surface, they don't look like a big deal. And this way, 
I think inaccuracies are probably the bane of most people's existence, and I've talked about this in other content. What I see is people's days being filled with meaningless, confused movements. They do stuff and they don't really know why, or they don't understand the reasoning that's in their head. It doesn't seem to move anything forward. It doesn't even contribute massively to survival, and yet it takes up a huge majority of their time and bandwidth. For example, social media scrolling. There's really nothing to be gained in doing that. Sometimes there's a lot to be lost, but even on a good day, it doesn't do much. And it's certainly not the best move available to you at any given time. I can't think of many situations, if any, where scrolling through Facebook is the best available thing you could do. I really can't think of that being the best move ever. Right? Unless you work at Facebook, perhaps. And that's about it. Having a superficial conversation. I can't see how that's better than not saying anything at all. I can't see how that's better than having a meaningful conversation. I can't see how that's better than leaving the room. It doesn't look like it's bad, but it's not good either, which means if it's neutral, it's bad. Because... Put it this way, if you're having a superficial conversation with one person, you're not having a meaningful conversation with another person, you're not having meaningful thoughts by yourself, you're just wasting time getting older without making any progress. You're going to die. You know that, right? Every second is a grain of sand through the fucking timer, and there's limited grains of sand. So if you're on a superficial conversation, you're wasting grains of sand, and that would be a loss by my book. Right, Drinking casually on the weekends, maybe you don't get obliterated drunk. You don't do like massive damage to your liver or brain damage as what happens with binge drinking, even minor binge drinking. But you're not exactly improving your health, are you? And the conversations you have while drinking aren't genuine. And you're not building real confidence because you're just using a crutch. So you're not moving forward in any way when you socialize with drinking. You're not necessarily moving backwards either. You're not going to be 70 years old on your deathbed and the doctor saying, you know, if you just skipped a few beers, you would have made it to 100. It's not that bad, necessarily, though I don't know some studies might argue with me on that, actually. You know, I have a couple of wines in the evening, it tastes nice. Yeah, but what does it really do for you? Now, it could be having a wine in the evening is like this pleasure, you know, experience you have with your partner. It's really like you look forward to it all week and you create great memories together. In that case, great. But if you just casually have a six-pack of beer whenever you go out because you don't really know what else to do, that's an inaccuracy. It's better to do nothing at all than an inaccurate move. So if you don't have a clear reason as to how the move you're about to make benefits you, don't do it. Do nothing instead. You'll be probably doing less harm. Or do something else that you can think of that's better. So if you're like, fuck, would scrolling through Facebook help me? I don't know, maybe it would, I might learn something, but it might not. But well, I don't, can't think of any real major benefits. Well, I could just drop and do 10 push-ups. I know that's going to be good for me, right? I could go and hug my partner. That's probably good. Right? It's at least a good move, if not a best move. You see what I mean? That an inaccuracy is a move that, like, there's better ones available, so why are you doing this? Put it down on the priority list. Tell you what. Scroll through Facebook when you've gotten all the best moves out the way and there's nothing left, right? You'll never get there. There's always a best move. But inaccuracies aren't as bad as mistakes. Now, mistakes are a chess term. 
And the chess terms aren't really clearly defined, I found when I was looking into this. People have different ideas as to what they mean, but mistake generally means it hurts your situation, obviously, in the short term, and it has possible long-term consequences, okay? So this is a thing where, like, you could recover from it if you counteract rather quickly, but if you were to keep up behaviors like this, you're looking at long-term problems. It's not a hugely harmful behavior, but it's definitely not a helpful one. And it's not a neutral one either. And yeah, you're, you're slippering, slippering down the slippery slope at this point. You don't have to stay on this train, but there's clearly better moves available to you. Okay. Binging on cake, right? You get to the office, it was someone's birthday, and you smash three slices of cake. No, you're not going to have an immediate heart attack. You're not going to put on 60 pounds of weight immediately. But there's no way that that's a good idea. There's no reasoning you can give to say that this was the best move available to me. And there's plenty of counter evidence, like eating three bits of cake, you will not find a nutritionist anywhere who says that's good for your health. And you'll find plenty to say that's a bad move. Right. Masturbating to porn. Masturbation by itself could be a good move. Uh, very worst in inaccuracy. But masturbating to porn... There's a lot of good research to say that, that hurts your brain. It hurts your ability to socialize. It hurts your ability to function sexually. It hurts your perspective of people and bodies. You can go your whole life without masturbating to porn and you will not notice any consequences negatively from that. And that, that's probably actually a great way to describe mistakes is if you never did this, uh, you'll be fine. Okay, If you never binged on cake, you're going to be fine. If you never masturbate to porn you're going to be fine if you never shout at people you're going to be fine uh, if you never blow money on clothing you're going to be fine if you never people please you're probably going to be fine none of these things like you go and splurge money shopping once it's not going to destroy your life especially if you can afford it but it's just not the best move and it def it harmed you more than it helped you right so that's a mistake you can recover from them you're going to make these, even if you're trying your best, you'll occasionally just give in to your lesser demons sort of thing. But you know at the time, or at least shortly after, that it was a dumb idea. You know, you're in an argument with your partner and they're pissing you off, you're like, I'll oh, just shut up! Now that's not going to end your relationship, but like, that was the best thing you could say? No way. Does saying that make your relationship better? No way. Does it hurt you a little bit? Yes. If you kept behaving like that, would it really hurt you? Fuck yes. That's a mistake. So I think the best way to describe a mistake is a decision that if you were to keep repeating it, you would see significant harm in your life. And if you never did it, you would not notice any suffering from it. You're not missing out by not doing these moves. Which brings us to the final category. We're going to talk about time limits and stuff after that. But the final category is really the thing that destroys people's lives. The blunder. One thing I've learned playing chess, I analyze all my games, especially my losses anyway, after I play, and there's a common theme. Nearly every single game is decided by who makes the most blunders. There's a kind of adage in chess is the winner is the person who makes the second to last mistake. I've seen that uh, spoken about by a lot of grandmasters. Making a blunder in chess, it happens, but make more of them than your opponent you will almost certainly lose the game. Unless you unless you know you make the second to last one, the last one that they make is a game ender. Uh, 
you're done for if you make more of them than they do. You just can't recover from blunders. They do so much harm to your game. In chess, and your only hope is that the other person does even more harm to their own. Well, in life, you don't have, you're not against an opponent. You're against life itself, which doesn't blunder. So every blunder really hurts you. And you will notice that most of the long-term problems that you have, most of the pain in your life, can be traced back to serious blunders and repeated blunders that you've made. There's nothing more empowering but humbling in self-development than to look back and realize that anything that you suffer from was a result of your own decisions and nothing else. You might be able to give yourself a little pass in childhood when a lot of decision making is out of your control. Like if you're bullied in school, that's largely down to just luck of where you're placed combined with the type of parenting you've got, you know. But from the age of about 15 upwards, shall we say, at this point, you're digging your own grave. You've got a fully functioning brain or mostly functioning brain. You're the one calling the shots. You have a lot of autonomy legally. At this point, if things are going wrong for you, it's your fault. Okay, it's your decision making that's brought this about. And it's your responsibility to fix this. So if a five-year-old kid's getting bullied, it's up to the teachers and the parents to sort that out. If a 25-year-old's getting bullied, that's his problem. He needs to sort that out. So blunders are any moves that have major short and long-term consequences, negatively, setbacks. They often start a spiral of continued bad decision making or at least a series of consequences like knocking over the dominoes and it's hard to stop the ongoing effect you imagine if you get drunk at a party and tell your boss to go fuck himself like how hard it is to stop that from unraveling over time after that party how hard it is to catch that and turn it around you're usually you're acting in reaction to emotions and uh, you're just grabbing some short-term obvious pleasure-seeking not think about it, impulse thing, reacting kind of like to your worst inner demons, vengeance, anger, and outrage, jealousy, and just like getting carried away on that, even only briefly, but you engage in a behavior that can't be taken back. Think of cheating on your partner. You can't uncheat, can you? Right? Think of like going all in on a shitty hand in poker. Like you're just, you're fucked once you've done it. You can't undo it. Whereas a mistake can be repaired often almost immediately you can like if i'm playing chess and i make a mistake like i put a piece in a dangerous position i can retreat the piece maybe keep it i'm just like lost a bit of time and a bit of momentum but a blunder like if i hang my queen and they take my i'm not getting my queen back right like i'm now playing without a queen they've got one so i'm in seriously uh ugly position but yeah getting carried away by your impulses your addictions your trauma and letting that make decisions for you that's generally a blunder and this is it's at this point there's no doubt better ways to behave right that there's nobody on this planet you'll find uh can prove that what you did was a good idea right that anybody who's healthy would look at what you did and say that was a fucking stupid thing to do that's a blunder Okay, even if your friends agree with you, it's because they're blundering alongside you and they want to make it look good by making sure they're surrounded by nothing but blunders. Like I said, you make six blunders in a game of chess and the other person makes seven, you can still win. We often surround ourselves by people behaving in a similar way and we can look like the least worst of the worst, which we think makes us the best. We don't realize that we're just all small fish at the bottom, you know, struggling away. 
splurging on a big purchase with a credit card, you know, spending money you don't have, that's a blunder. You know, spending money you do have on shit, that's a mistake. Spending money you don't have on shit, that's a blunder, right? Violence is almost certainly a blunder, unless you're literally, like, doing it as a sport, you know, in MMA, in which case violence is pretty much called for. But trying to solve a problem with violence, it's almost certainly a blunder, right? There's almost nothing good, long-term or short-term, to come out of that. You're, you're starting something that's very hard to do, like you hit your partner, you can't unhit them, right? You punch your boss, you, you'll never be able to recover from that. Your whole career, that will follow you, right? You do something to end up in prison, you get a criminal history record for violence. It's very, very hard to get that wiped clean, and it kind of follows you around, limits your options for the rest of your life, or at least for many, many years. So violence is almost certainly always a blunder. Signing a very dodgy contract, you know, being a people pleaser and signing up to that new television on higher purchase or that car lease or that fucking mortgage without reading it through, without really doing the calculation properly, without asking yourself, is this a good idea? You know, legally binding yourself to something that's very difficult to get out of that you're not sure of, that's almost certainly a blunder. Or one that I used to make a lot, unprotected sex. That's a fucking dumb idea. I am so lucky. I'm not like a player or anything, but I had a lot of unprotected sex in my life, and I am so lucky I'm not surrounded by paternity suits and venereal disease. You know, I I just was shooting in the dark and somehow managed not to hit anything. But unprotected sex with especially one night stands, that kind of thing, that's just absolutely ridiculous and so many people do it you know they don't like the feel of the condom they don't want to break the mood with a talk about contraception whatever it is and they can just throw their whole life away now they got a kid right now they got herpes good luck getting rid of it blunders quite often create long-term sometimes even permanent issues you know you go drink driving you crash the car and paralyze your friend that will haunt you for the rest of your life you'll never undo that ever you're a changed person now because of that you know, you, you cross the line of consent with someone sexually, even if they don't press charges, you're now a sexual offender and you'll never be able to not be that for the rest of your life, you know. Blunders are very impulsive decisions. Any any decision made impulsively is asking for trouble. But blunders are both impulsive and, and incredibly harmful. And I guarantee you, whatever is happening in your life now that you don't like, just follow the chain of command back until you find the blunder that led to it, right? It might be too long ago to do anything about it now, but blunders are often something where you set up a precedent that was very hard to get out of. You know, getting yourself into debt, so now you've got to stay in your shit job. So right now all you can think of is, man, my job sucks, and I hate being in debt. Wind the clock back. You could have bought a cheaper car, but no, you had to go with the flash one, and then you signed up to the dodgy lease with the grinning shark who didn't explain the details, you know, now you're paying 20% and you can't even afford it, right? You're paying for your blunders as we speak right now. And we all make blunders. But you want to win at life, you're just going to make as very few of them. That's it. You're going to make some, but there's a limit to how many you can get away with. And if you can try to just not make blunders, like do nothing rather than blunder. Sometimes doing nothing is a blunder, but most of the time it's a very active movement. A blunder you have to go and do something you didn't have to do uh, mistakes can be recovered from and of course good moves and best moves always improve your life but blunders man they can ruin a life and if if you want at least 
a good life, you're trying to avoid these. And you can look back right now and just like, like, what are the stupidest things I've ever done? What are the things that, like, I'm still paying for it today, you know? And emotionally, financially, physically. Like, uh, right now I have a cholesterol problem. Now it's genetic, so that's out of my control. But the binge drinking and drug taking I took in my 20s, plus eating all the fried food that I ate, that was those were blunders. For other people, that would be mistakes, right? Um, but for me, with a genetic condition, drinking and eating fried food was actually a blunder. And now I have to take pills for the rest of my life, and I'm increased high-risk category for heart disease and heart attacks. I can't undo that. I can't be so healthy that that goes away. I now have a permanent like baseline of risk that I can't get lower. I can get as close to the lowest available to me so I can eat as healthy as possible. I've stopped drinking. I don't smoke anything anymore much. Uh, I don't take any hard drugs. I'm, I'm doing the best I can in the situation I'm in. Like, So I've already lost my queen sort of thing in the game, but I can still try to make every move from here on out as healthy as possible. But I'm playing like on the back foot health-wise. Like, I'm going to have to be healthier than everybody else around me just to compete with them. So, <clears throat> those are the different types of decisions. If you think about it before you act, what one is this likely to be? Given the range of options I can see available, what's the best one, what's the worst one? How do I at least not do the worst one, if nothing else? There's also a couple of other things to consider. One is time limit. So when you play chess with a time limit, it changes the game uh, incredibly. If I play against a computer or something like that, or with a friend, you've got so long to make a decision, there's no pressure. But that can actually cause you to overthink. I find I actually play my best chess with just a bit of time pressure where I don't have time to really overthink, but I've got enough time to think a bit, right? And that's the kind of situation you'll put yourself in for making decisions is there's a limit. It's not a panicky limit, but you've only got enough time to consider all the information kind of once before you have to make your move. You can't reconsider and reconsider and reconsider. Now, often you're going to have to arbitrarily set these time frames up for yourself and I've talked about this in other content. One way to do this is to have the hell yes, hell no approach, which is if you can't get to a hell yes, then you default to a hell no. So like if I can't decide whether or not I want to buy this car within the next 20 minutes, then the answer is automatically a no. If I can't get to a yes on it, the no's already been decided. 20 minutes means eh, car's no longer available, walk away. That kind of time limit decision making will stop you from overthinking but it will also make sure that you don't underthink. So you want to go to the time limit, if possible, if, if it doesn't clearly occur to you then. In, in chess, there's three elements to the game. There's the opening, there's the mid-game, and there's the end game. And a lot of situations in life follow this, and the time limit requirements kind of follow it as well. Take a conversation. A lot of conversations, let's say you're speaking to someone new for the first time, they start in a similar way and they follow similar lines. And... This isn't about seduction techniques or anything, just general chit-chat that gets things warmed up. That's how most people speak. So you don't need fancy moves to get a conversation going. You just go, walk up next to someone, hey, how's it going? What are you up to? Yeah, I'm up to this. These are kind of questions and stuff that go back and forth. It's a really standard way to get things moving. You want to get out of the opening as quickly as possible and get into the mid-game. So your moves are pretty quick in the opening. Hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. Let's get it done. You want to start a business and say, okay, let's register the name, right? Let's open a bank account. 
Let's uh, decide what I'm going to call the business. These are all opening moves. They don't actually matter that much in the long run. So you get them done quickly and get into the mid game, which is where all the interesting new stuff happens. So when you're getting into a situation, the time limit you're thinking of is very short term. Like, let's get some shit moving, but we're not committing to anything major long term. We're just getting stuff off the ground. Like, I want to get into exercise, or let's just, you know, pack some bag, you know, gear into a bag and get to the gym, have a look at the equipment. That's opening game. Let me like, get there so I can start exercising at least, right? I don't want to sit around like, what's the right gym to go to? Should I wear those shoes or those shoes? These are stupid decisions. It doesn't matter. Go and bare fucking feet if you have to. Just get your ass to the gym. That's opening game. It's mid-game that usually requires the most careful consideration. Okay, this is where you've got your best chance to make your best moves. You haven't blundered yet. You haven't made many mistakes yet. You know, you're early in a conversation. You haven't totally offended them yet. Or you haven't, like, committed to having a conversation with a horrible person or anything like that. Still got a lot of room to move. And this is where it's time to start slowing down, just have a bit of a think. What's the best next move? What's the, you know, the most honest thing to say next? And how do I really feel about that? And, you know, of those three TVs, which one's probably going to meet my needs the most? You know, this is where you start thinking. So you give yourself a bit more time for decision making in the mid game. So once you're at the gym, slow it down. Take your time to look around. Don't walk around for an hour going, fuck, which machine should I start with? But maybe five minutes. Okay, look, five minutes just to do a lap of the building. And then I have to, within a minute, I have to choose my first machine or my first set of weights, right? But make sure I'm aware of all the options. And that's often often what happens in mid-game and chess is you're taking time just to assess all the various options. It's too early in the game to go, oh, this is going to lead there and then there and then there and then there, unless you're a grandmaster, right? You can't make brilliant moves yet because you have no idea what they're going to do. There's too many variations to consider. So you're just looking for sort of like, given what I do know, I'm going to get started with that. That's the best thing. That's the next thing. And so on. And then you've got the end game. And the end game is all about long term, isn't it? This is this is it now. The mid game should be setting you up for the end game. So mid game should always be thinking of long term benefits, you know. If I'm talking to someone, I think, you know, if this person is going to be my best friend later, what's the best way to talk to them now, right? I should be really open and honest with them now, get it set up from the start so I don't have to deal with any problems later. I should confront them early on things I disagree with so that I don't have some smoldering resentment later, right? You're thinking about your future self in mid-game. You want to make end-game as easy as possible. You want to make sure by the time you get to the end, you've got such a massive advantage you're going to win. I don't mean like dominating people in life. It's just a chess metaphor. But what I mean is if, you know, you're at the gym, you want to make sure you do a nice good warm-up. You make sure you get a personal trainer. You try to eat as nutritionally as possible, however you phrase that. You want to go to your limit but not injure yourself. You're trying to set yourself up for a long-term healthy body. You want to do exercises that you enjoy or play sports that you enjoy so you're likely to stick with it. Those are all best moves. That mean that if the end game is being healthy for life, you've made it really easy for yourself. You want to make life as easy for your future self as possible. That's the best way to think of what the best move is. It might be uncomfortable now, but you want your future self to be like, fuck, I'm glad I did that. That's a that's probably the best framework for thinking of what the best move is. Is you in five years, what does he wish you would do? Right? Once you get to end game, you're basically working with what you have. You're here now. And chess, it means you're down to a few pieces. Those are the pieces you're going to have to work with. 
you've lost all the rest in mid-game, right? You can't... like uh, In-game would be like when I was dancing, it'd be the performing on stage. I've done all the training now, and now it's here. Like, I can't train anymore. However fit and prepared I am is what I'm going to have to deal with. But there are still things I can control and things I need to be careful of in endgame. And so the timing in endgame is a lot longer. Really, you've got to take your time in endgame when it comes to making decisions. Once you're in the thick of the action, you've already kind of done everything that can be done. Now you're making big decisions. So if I've gotten to know someone for a long time, just deciding whether or not to propose to marry to them, I can take some time with that decision. Right, I don't have to rush that one. I don't have to put a time frame on it. If I've been exercising and eating healthy for five years and I've tried different plans, now I can really take some time to think about what's the one I want to stick with for a while. You know, So you think about commitments and stuff. So when you're in Endgame, when you've really already put a lot of work in, like you've already been in business for five years and now you're trying to figure out where to take this business next, you can really take your time here because you know you don't have an overthinking problem or a procrastination problem. Now's the time to really put some thought in because tell you what, in chess, in-game is really where it's mostly decided. All the pros will tell you the first thing you need to train with, the first concept you need to train and practice is in-game. Because no matter how much you fuck up the opening and the mid-game, if the other person has a weak in-game, you still got a really good shot. And I've actually noticed that like it's my strongest element in chess. My opening game's okay, my mid-game's pretty weak. But I've won a lot of games where I'm outmatched at the end because the other person hasn't practiced end games, and I have. And I take my time, so I might rush a little bit too much in the early part of the game, but we get to the end and I've got all this time and they don't. So I'm taking my time to do these careful moves and they start panicking and rushing. And A lot of my wins are time-based. I win because they run out of time and I manage to stay alive, even though they had a better position and better pieces. So in-game, work with what you've got to the best of your ability, take your time. So when you come to making decisions, like the time limit, you want to ask yourself, where am I? Am I just getting off the ground? In this case, let's get it going. Let's get the ship moving. No fucking around. Doesn't really matter. Even if I make mistakes here, I can easily recover from them. Don't need to worry too much about being the best. If it's mid-game, like you're in the gym now, you're getting no, now you need to take some time, think it through, but don't overthink. Really focus what's the next best move. Probably that. All right, let's go with it. And then when it comes to in-game, it comes to like making really long-term decisions. You know, where should I live? Um, you know, where should I take my business in the next 10 years? Uh, who should I keep in my friend circle? Really, take hours if you have to, days, weeks even, to make these decisions. Really think them through, weigh up lots of long-term consequences, try to map it out how it's going to go, have another deep inner look at your value system and what matters to you, um, because that's where you need to take your time. Finally, the most important thing you can do when it comes to chess, I think, is analyze your games. If you want to learn how you play, you have to watch it after it happened, out of the heat of the moment, with a second review. It's amazing how many times I just hang a really good piece and just give it up for dead, because I was too focused on like one side of the board. Chess is this weird game where you can like be looking at a few squares and miss the bigger picture, and because of the way the pieces work, there can be something way across the board that's a big threat to you, and you just literally don't see it, even though it's got a clear line to your shit, right? And that happens to me a lot. And then when I go to review the game, I'm like, oh, why did I do that? It's so obvious, because now I'm finally looking at the whole board. Reviewing and analyzing the way you make decisions is so important, and it's actually more likely 
to help you make good decisions than anticipating and doing it before you make a decision. You can try your best to think of what the best move is and then act on it, but more likely you're going to learn afterwards when you review it with hindsight and with the outcome and consequences and with how you feel later. You know, you might think, you know what? Having a couple of wines is a good idea. And then the next day at the meeting, when you're feeling a bit fucking hungover and, you know, headachey and you can't focus, you're like, you know what? That was actually a dumbass idea. I forgot I had this fucking early meeting. Right? So you can re-evaluate how good that move was. Even though at the time it really did look like the best move forward, you just couldn't see it clearly. And next time you go to have wine, you'll be like, wait, I better check if I have any meetings tomorrow. And now you're a wiser person. Right? Most of my decision-making improvement has come after the fact. It's come from looking at how I made a decision going, so now that I see how that played out, was that my best move? When I compare that to my values, the whole picture... Was that really the best move? And this is also where we learn. We were like, yeah, that was the best move at the time. But now I know something more. So next time I'm in a familiar situation to that, I'm going to be even wiser. And this is, it's really important not to punish yourself, even for blunders, if that was the best you could do at the time, which is, of course, always true. You always do your best. But later on, you might have wisdom that you just didn't have at the time. It was not an available resource to you there are times where you know the right thing to do and you do something stupid that's a blunder but there are times where you don't know the right thing to do and you do something stupid well that's just being human and the next time you look at it and you go oh shit that was really stupid i just didn't see that coming well now you can in the future so you don't have to hold yourself to too harsh account when it comes to that particular decision because you literally just couldn't have done better Give you an example. I'll have a look right now how I've been today, and I'll review my decisions. Breakfast time. I had really bad sleep last night. Chloe was making noises all night, and then basically I was having broken sleep from about eight thirty to five, and then I had to get up, and I just felt totally unrested. So I'm on the back foot, and so making decisions was quite hard for me today. But I think I did all right. But I'll, I'll review it right now. Let's take what I have for breakfast. I came down and. My favorite breakfast, which is this granola thing, uh, wasn't there. We'd run out. And I'm just sick to fucking death of porridge. Like, I know porridge is healthy. I have it with, like, soy milk and banana. I break in some, like, dark chocolate, which is good for my heart. And uh, sometimes if there's blueberries, you know, another good fruit, I chuck them on. It's very healthy. It actually tastes pretty good, but not when you've had it for fucking 300 days in a row. Right? And I was just looking at the porridge, just going... I'm going to chuck this shit out the window. I'm so not into this. I was looking at different options. I could have some ham on toast. Ham's not good for me health-wise, you know. Uh, processed red meat's pretty bad for my heart. And I usually have it with mayo, which is full of oil. Again, bad for my heart. Or I could pack a sad and have nothing at all. Or just eat a piece of fruit. Or, you know, there were some Christmas cookies. I could just have cookies for breakfast. So there was a range of options. I ended up going with porridge. Definitely my best move. Of what was available, I can clearly see now, even though I didn't want to do it, it was the smart thing to do. I feel uh, full and, you know, uh, I have all the energy I need to do this podcast because of that. And for my long-term health, it's the best move. So that was the best move. All the others would have been either inaccuracies or uh, mistakes. I don't think how, you know, I'd have to eat like... I don't know, ketamine for breakfast for it to be a blunder. You can't really fuck up one meal so bad that it's a blunder, I don't think. Uh, unless you, you know, 
someone that gives you a heart attack or something. But you can definitely make mistakes when it comes to meals, so it's worth having a look. I exercised today. I really didn't feel like it. I had no energy. I'm like try- struggling to stay awake just playing with Chloe. But I dropped and just did a few push-ups and a few squats. And I did a few more later. Again, I think that's the best move. It's less than I've done in the past, for sure. But doing nothing was also an option. And that would have been an inaccuracy, I think. Possibly even a mistake, because the uh, exercising gives me some energy in the day. But definitely an inaccuracy. It wouldn't have moved me forward to do no exercise. But if I'd done heaps of exercise, I probably would have injured myself. So that would have been possibly even a blunder. So I think I did the right amount of exercise. Uh, Where I made a little mistake today, I think. uh, Lucy's in pretty bad mood today. All of that. She's on the rags. And, you know, she's been struggling a lot with all the crisis about us trying to get to New Zealand and all the political bullshit we're dealing with around that. She really needs some support from me today, but I just didn't really know what to say. I I couldn't really think of anything encouraging uh, or supportive. I gave her a cuddle, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but I was really just remained silent. Even though I had a lot of stuff to say, there was stuff I could have said that would have been a mistake. You know, just knee-jerk reactions and judgments that weren't even really accurate, so it's not fair to call them honesty. So I didn't say those, at least. But I didn't say anything good either, so it'd be an inaccuracy the way I responded to her bad mood today. Also, we had a little disagreement about the new Christmas traditions now that we have our own kid. You know, she's quite traditional. They have have a big, like, three-day Catholic Christmas thing here, uh, which is far too much for me, but they do it. And I wanted to, like, usurp one of those days. Uh, I wanted to have the 25th for us as a family, start our own little thing. Lucy's kind of resistant to this. Not overly resistant, but just kind of... You know, she'd have to give something up. Uh, And I'm not really clear on what I want because I'm not actually a very traditional person. It's mostly about Chloe. And we had a conversation. I encountered some resistance there. I kind of flaked out. I'll call that a mistake. I think I can recover from that. Got a week to sort that out. But I just sort of backed down and said, oh, we just won't do anything then. Which isn't honest. So it wasn't uh, in that I don't want to do nothing. I actually do want to do something. And I just kind of let the overwhelming, like, noise of the conversation just push me down. Where I should have stood up further. Or I should say, I will stand up further in the future. So that was a mistake. So I had a range of best moves, inaccuracies, and mistakes today. I don't think I've made any major blunders today. I haven't made major blunders in a long time. But every now and then I make one. But I do still make a lot of mistakes. And uh, so I caught a couple today. So that's how I'd review a day. That's how I'd analyze my game. I look back and categorize them like that. Um, I sort of also have a look at background factors. I'm very sleep deprived. I should expect more mistakes. Hopefully I can just keep them to mistakes, not blunders. So if I notice a mistake, I need to go recover. So I'm going to have to have a conversation, another conversation with Lucy about Christmas traditions to recover from that mistake and like repair the damage and balance it out. But yeah, if you you review your decision-making like that, catch the mistakes, go recover from them, fix them up, congratulate yourself on the best moves, look at the good moves and, you know, acknowledge that they're keeping you alive and do whatever you can to put out the fire of any blunders, you know, really try to put a huge effort into rewriting that problem as much as you can and and wrapping that up because it has these long-term domino effects. You've got to at least stop the domino chain from falling. You've got yourself a recipe for a good life 
it's the reason chess is such a popular game i think is because it represents life in so many metaphorical ways uh, it's literally a game that's favored by war strategists but it's also about being able to look at like the chessboard doesn't lie you, just like life doesn't you can't get away with bullshit life doesn't reward bad decision making it punishes it and it rewards good decision making i don't mean the kind of luck you have i just mean the natural consequences of your decision if you eat healthier you end up healthier like life doesn't suddenly make you unhealthy because you've been eating healthier it follows rules the chessboard follows rules as well if you leave you know if you leave your queen out in the open it will get taken that's unless the other person's a fucking idiot right so you got to understand your decision making does decide nearly everything that happens to you. If you have bad luck, it's because you put yourself in that situation and then the bad luck occurred. Right? You can get out of situations. You can make your situation far more likely to be good luck or at least not bad luck. And that's how your decision making can be viewed. So hopefully that helps you. It's been helping me a lot lately. Like I said, this is how chess has developed me the most personally this year than anything else has. It's just given me a framework for my decision making. It's really, it's causing me to pause. I've made a couple of blunders this year, uh, or we'll call them serious mistakes because they didn't have major long-term problems. So I fixed them. I guess they're just mistakes, but like I uh, said some nasty things to Lucy a couple of times when I was at the end of my rope. I had to quickly like uh, go and sort that out because if I kept talking like that, our relationship would have been fucked, you know? Uh, I only did it a couple of times where I could see the damage. I was like, ooh, that's a dangerous thing to keep doing. No wonder people struggle in relationships if they talk like that, you know? I only did it a couple of times and I could already feel the fucking sting from it. Yeah, it's been really helping me and, and it's getting to the point now where I'm starting to think before I make a move, like today when I wanted to just bail on exercise, I thought about this little framework, like really? I can't do a single push-up? Is this the best move available to me is doing nothing? And it turns out, no, I can do 16 push-ups, and then I'm fucked, right? <laughs> Sleep deprivation is no joke. I'm really, I'm fucked after 16 push-ups. That's my energy done. Uh, God, I need some sleep. Anyway, hopefully that helps you guys, and uh, thank you for those of you who have been listening to the podcast for this year and any other years. I've got the end of another one. I've done a few hundred of these bad boys now. More to come. I've got no plans on stopping this anytime soon. Please get in touch if you have topics that you want me to cover or questions you want me to answer. Dan at brojo.org. And of course, I'm available for one-to-one coaching as well if you want to work through your decision-making and your own personal situation. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you guys next year. Cheers. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity.